Welcome to Podcasts, recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. We have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its video podcast, you can donate online at cslportland.org slash donate. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living. Welcome and aloha. Oh, oh, let's do that now. Um, we forgot to read our covenant prayer. Let's do that now. This is for our new minister. This is when we came together in consciousness to create this prayer to stand in agreement and in alignment for our new minister. So let's read this together. There is only one life. This life is good. This life is God. This life is my life now. In knowing that I am one with this life that is God, I therefore know that I am one with all of its blessed expressions, which includes the presence of a new minister for my beloved spiritual community. Because I know that the highest purpose of my new minister is to express spirit, I therefore know that my new minister is a revelation of spirit as wisdom. I further know that my new minister is a fulfillment of that which has been promised by God, for it is written, to realize that God is ever-present, ever-available, is to know that all the wisdom, intelligence, and power of the universe is right where you are. As I stand in agreement with my beloved community, I see my new minister before me as lighting this safe space in unity, love, and belonging. I now intend to experience my new minister in full cooperation and agreement with my community, knowing this truth about myself. I am inspired to align with divine wisdom, <coughs> feel uplifted, strengthened, and loved. I am calling forth the awareness of oneness as a source of universal truth, demonstrating the power of love in leading and guiding PCSL in its expression of wholeness and abundance. I am expressing passion for providing broad educational opportunities for spiritual growth, both in person and virtually. I am nurturing modern families, engaging our communities, and standing up for a diverse 
equitable, and inclusive society. As I now accept the highest expression of a new minister into my life, I know that they will be revealed, will express spirit, and serve the highest and greatest good of all who are touched by their presence. I am grateful God is gracious, and so it is. And so it is. Thank you so much for standing in agreement with that and knowing the highest truth for our community and for each of us individually. So the theme this month is embracing self-care. And in order to live life to the fullest, we have to be aware of self-care, right? Taking care of ourselves. That we, in order to know that we're one with the unlimited possibilities, we have to know what the potential is for us. And so we have to be aware of that. So through self-awareness of the mind, the body, and the spirit, you realize that you are the perfect entity and that you have all you need for unlimited success and unconditional love. And unconditional love reminded me, um, there's a story of this elderly couple, and they were, um, it was their 60th anniversary, and they were sitting on a swing together, and the husband was feeling romantic, and he, and he said to his wife, honey, our love is tried and true. And she couldn't hear him. She has trouble hearing, and she asked him to repeat it, and so he said it a little louder. Honey, our love is tried and true. So I, I can't hear you. And so as loud as he could say it, he said, honey, our love is tried and true. And she said, well, fine, I'm sick of you too. <laughs> so my topic is balancing grief and joy. And there's a little bit of grief in there and a little bit of joy in there, right? So grief, it's like, oh gosh, why did I come here today? We're going to talk about grief, right? <laughs> grief is unavoidable emotion that we go through at some point of our lives. And so I'm gonna, we're going to unpack the myths about it today so that we understand it's something that's natural, that when we're, we we're in a place of loss, and it's not just losing a loved one, it's losing a pet, it's losing, it's having a change. When we're in the midst of that, that it's okay to feel sad, to feel grief. And how do we move from that to experiencing joy in our lives? And so there's lots of ways, as I said, to experience loss. Um, anyone ever lose a pet? Did you experience grief? I mean, it's, it's, serious grief with that. Um, loss of a job, moving, life changes from illness, retirement, legal issues, loss of physical abilities, having a minister retire, <laughs> right? There's all, not only just losing a loved one, but there's all kinds of ways where we have lost something in our lives and we feel grief. And in the uh, Grief Recovery Handbook, John James and Russell Friedman describe grief as a normal and actual reaction to loss of any kind. The feelings you have are normal and natural for you. 
The problem is we've been socialized to believe that these feelings are abnormal and unnatural. And isn't that true? We see them as abnormal or unnatural. But it's natural to miss our old way of life. It's natural to miss a loved one who is no longer there or our beloved pet or any changes in the work world. It's natural to have that happen. So they say grief is normal, natural, and necessary. And it's normal because that's how we respond to loss. Grief is a, a way that we respond to loss. Grief is natural because it's a perfectly human thing to do. We can't avoid grief. It's built around us. We love, so when we're, we we're at a loss, we grieve for that loss. Grief is necessary because it provides us a healthy way to cope with loss and how everything, what everything means to us. Trying to ignore or avoid grief won't work. It only makes the grief last longer and causes more pain. I had a friend that went through a situation when her dad died. She was so busy with everything, she avoided the grief. Five years later, she had like a breakdown. The breakdown was all that grief she was holding onto finally had a way to, to let go, to release. So it's, it's really important to allow ourselves to do that. We're uncomfortable about grief, I think because sometimes we're uncomfortable with expressing our emotions. And have you ever noticed that when people express emotions, they tend to apologize? There's nothing to apologize for. Expressing your feeling is the most natural thing to do. Give yourself permission to feel the feelings. Allow yourself to be human. Sometimes I, I notice even for myself that I'll feel tears well, welling up from something I remember and the first impulse is to stop, right? Well, I don't, I don't want to cry. I don't want an ugly cry, so, so stop. How can I stop? How can I pat that down? I uh, read a story about a man in Florida who's driving home and this sinkhole in Florida, they have them uh, frequently, this sinkhole beneath the earth opened up and swallowed his car. And he was not hurt, but he was really dazed and confused. And for a while, he didn't know where he was or what happened. And he described his experience. In one minute, I was driving in my own neighborhood on a bright, sunny day. And the next minute, I was at the bottom of a deep, dark hole with the whole world caving in on me. And that story is similar to what we go through in grief. It's what we go through when a loved one dies. One moment your loved one is there, and the next they're gone. And the world comes crashing in, and we tend to feel sometimes confused and dazed. One of the first things that happens when, someone, when we lose someone is this sense of shock 
the mind goes numb and everything feels like a blur. It feels like we're on autopilot. And people describe the feelings like dazed, bewildered, confused, panicky, disoriented. You could probably identify some of your own that you've felt during a time of loss. Now, here's something interesting. You may be familiar with Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. You've heard that name. She was a pioneer in the work of death and dying. And so she identified five emotional stages that a dying person may go through after they've been diagnosed with terminal, terminal illness. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And so, what happened is people took those over to the grief side, that they took the, the five stages for dying and said, oh, there's five stages for grief. There's no stages for grief. You can be in any place at any time. It's different for each person. And that's frustrating to us as humans, right? Because we want to plan. What's the plan here? What, what should I expect? How long is this going to last? Because I've got a um, vacation happening in October, and I want to be done grieving by then. Right? We're on a schedule. And so in the Grief Recovery Handbook, they say there's, there are myths, many myths of grief. They list several, but I'm just going to uh, use three of them. The first one is don't cry, don't feel bad. As a kid, I cried all the time. And my parents were telling me all the time, stop crying, don't cry, don't cry. You know, what's wrong with you? Don't cry. You know, and crying can feel uncomfortable to the person. So when you say don't cry, what do you feel? Shame. That shame comes, oh, I'm crying, there's shame. And it's normal to cry. Allow the person to cry. And then we feel vulnerable watching someone cry, and we want them to stop. Oh, don't cry. Pat them on the back. When the thing they need is someone to just stand there and let them cry. That's the greatest gift we have, is to allow someone to cry. The, another myth is that is, it's best to grieve alone. There's a saying, laugh and the whole world laughs with you. Cry and you cry alone. Everybody knows that. Well-meaning friends somehow sometimes don't know what to do with grief. They don't know what to do with our grief. They don't know what to do with their grief. And so when we're grieving, it activates old grieving for them because grief is cumulative. Grief that you know so you have someone that dies recently, all these old feelings from the past show up, right? And that's because they're all, they're all part of the grief process. And so when our friends feel uncomfortable, what we tend to do is withdraw. So we withdraw and we end up grieving alone. Another myth is just give it time. You'll be back to normal soon. Guess what? There's no normal. That is a, 
a thing that we have an attachment to. Where is that normal? Let's get back to that normal, right? During the pandemic, let's get back to normal. There's no normal. There's no normal after a loss. That person is gone. I remember after my husband passed, I was cleaning out the garage and um, getting ready to move, and there was a box of his papers, like important business papers and medical papers, and I saw them, and I was like, oh, okay, I need to hang on to these. Why? I said, these are important. He's going to need these. And it was a, it was a shock that nobody needed these, that it was, it looked so important, and he's gone. Nobody needed that. So we want to get, so life was not normal for me. So I'll tell you um, my, my own story is, uh, my husband, Lawrence, had a serious health challenge. He had a blood disorder called polycythemia, and he was taking medicine for it. And when I met him, I knew he had this, and he was managing it pretty well, and I was convinced we were going to heal it, right? We were, we were good religious scientists, and we were going to heal it. And so he was, doing, he was doing well and then started having all kinds of symptoms, and one thing after another happened. And his, his, that condition turned into leukemia, which uh, turned into uh, something that couldn't be cured, so he needed to have a bone marrow transplant. He had the bone marrow transplant, and his body rejected it. And so then he had a series of strokes and lost his ability to move, to remember, to speak. He had to learn everything all over again. And... He spent months uh, in rehab trying to get better, but at the time, they didn't know his body had rejected the bone marrow transplant. His body was so battered from illnesses, he, they, there was nothing else they could do, and he finally said, I'm done. I don't want any more medicine. I don't want any more procedures. And five days later, he passed. So... Because his illness was for three years, I experienced something that's called anticipatory grief. Anyone else? I see nods. Yeah. Anyone else know that? It's that anticipatory grief that this person's going to, going to pass. And so, like, you're gearing yourself ready, ready for it. And, oh, let me tell you, I was making deals with his soul all the time. It was like, don't, you can't pass before my parents pass. I don't know how I'm going to deal with the loss of my parents without you. That, how am I going to do this? And I was making all kinds of deals on, on a soul level for his soul to stay. Please stay. Well, guess what? We don't make those decisions, right? We don't make those decisions. I couldn't control the outcome. He died uh, a year before my mom passed. And what I found out is I had the strength that I needed and the ability to go through my process with his loss enabled me to be there for my family. So, and I felt his strength. 
So it was like what my grief, what I had to deal with, how was I going to deal with this grief? Well, I had signed up to, uh, before all of this happened, to walk part of the Camino de Santiago uh, the year after his passing. And I thought, I thought it would be a great um, way to heal after this. Little did I realize it would be a year to the date that he was gone, that of his passing. And so while I was walking the, uh, the Camino, on the day of his passing, we were able to have a mass in a, in a little church. I had a couple friends with me and we went to this um, beautiful garden and we sprinkled his ashes in this garden in Spain. And so I got to, I got to grieve during that process. But be, before that, when I was, during that year, I had to train. So in, in order to do the Camino, you have to be able to walk long distances. I had to be able to walk up to 15 miles a day. So a friend and I were training for this. And one day, it was about a month before it was time to leave, I couldn't walk. I just like hit a wall. And it was something triggered in me, a memory, something. It was I was moving through grief. And fortunately, she was... Uh, a fellow minister, and she knew what was happening, and she walked me through that process. And I went through my grief that day for several days and moved through it, and then I was able, we went on the, on the journey, and it was a remarkable journey that we had together. And I was able to use many of those moments of walking to allow myself to grieve, to let go. And many of the people you find on the trail are doing just that. They're there walking through their grief. They're there walking through loss or sorrow. One of the things that I wanted to do was move on. When was I going to move on? Remember I said earlier, we, we like, when is this, are we going to be finished? I need to finish because I've got a busy life. So I wanted to move on. I heard this speaker say, we stress about moving on. We don't move on. That the loss of someone is the loss of this powerful presence in our lives. And so we move forward. The way she described it is to move forward. And so moving forward we see it as a process. We know it can take time, but it's not impossible. And here's some techniques. Again, allow yourself to grieve. Allow yourself to go through the process. It's natural to feel sad or angry or confused. And you know, it happens when you least expect it. Anyone else have that happen? When you least expect it? I was... Um, shopping at Macy's several months after Lawrence had passed. I was shopping in Macy's, and we used to shop in Macy's together. And I just, like, turned the corner somewhere in the men's department or something and heard music, and, and it, like, I lost it. Because it was that memory came flooding back. And it's like, allow yourself to grieve. I just allowed myself to go through what I needed to. To not suppress the feelings, but learn how to feel them. 
And to find, the second one is seek support. Get support. I was supported by one of Lawrence's business associates who was also a widow. She told me, the first thing you do is find a grief counselor. It was the best suggestion ever. And that's what I did, is I found a grief counselor, and it was so helpful to have this person to be able to talk with. That we need someone to reflect. We need someone to be able to share with. One thing that people would tell me all the time is to take care of myself, and I resented it. People would say, oh, you need to take care of yourself. You know when people say that to you? Oh, you need to take care of yourself. It's like, how do you expect me to do that? Because when you're in the midst of it, you don't even know how. But I knew I was doing, taking small steps to do just that. And I had friends that were able to support me in that process. So going for body work, um, seeing, going to, the, going to the doctor, the whole process of going through an illness like that, it, the, it wears on the caregiver and it, dra and it drains us. And so my adrenals were depleted. So I was seeing a naturopath and an acupuncturist that they were helping me. It's helpful to really see someone who works on the body because we hold grief in the body. And we tend to have pains, shoulder pain, a hip pain. It's where we're holding that grief. And so when we have someone, we can work through that. Of course, we know the power of spiritual practice. To meditate, to pray, to journal, to feel gratitude. Meditation and prayer can help us find that inner peace, even if it's for a few minutes it doesn't have to be for hours or long periods of time, but for a few minutes to sit in the quiet and allow ourselves to just breathe and find that connection. We find the connection with our prayers, with journaling. We're able to reflect in journaling. And most of all, to be patient. Remember that the healing process is different for everyone. We can't compare it to someone else's grief. To be patient with ourselves. In um, the Grief Recovery Handbook, they say, we are taught how to acquire things, not what to do when we lose them. I thought, isn't that true? We we're taught how to go out and get things and acquire them. But what do we do when we lose them? Lose them, not only the loss of a loved one, but lose them in um, some kind of uh, climate change event or fire or flood or whatever, that we lose things. And that is grieving as well. I love this from this book called Secrets of Divine Love. Grief has a very holy purpose. Through our feelings of loss, we actualize true gratitude. When we begin to see the depth of our grief as reflecting the depth of love that we have felt, the holes that a loved one's spirit once filled go from triggers of sadness and regret to altars of gratitude. 
So those places of loss and regret move to a place of gratitude. The children's book character, Winnie the Pooh, beautifully states this when he says, how lucky I am to have something that makes, me, that makes saying goodbye so hard. So I found that I had a deep sense of gratitude in the midst of my grief. I was grateful for this amazing marriage where I felt loved and supported. So again, another part of my process, when Lawrence passed, I began studying people that had near-death experiences. I wanted to understand, well, where did he go? What happens to us? And we say we believe in the eternality of life, one of our, in our declaration of principles. I wanted to understand that more. And there are so many ways that I was fed by that process. Anita Morjani, if you're familiar with her book, Dying to Be Me, is a powerful um, example and explanation of what happened to her in her near-death experience and what she understood about the afterlife and how much we are loved. Even Alexander was a doctor, and people would tell him how they had this experience and they saw a light and that they had this glorious experience. And for years, he told them that that, that was nothing. It was just the medicine until he had it himself from a near-death, he had his own near-death experience, and he had his own experience and got to see what that was. There's other books of Heaven is for Real, Life After Life. There were so many resources that helped me bring, bring that back, bring that back to me that life is eternal. Life is eternal. What I discovered is that there's a very thin veil between this life and the afterlife. And that when our, our loved ones are always near us, and when we think of them, they're around. I had one of the nurses in the hospital where, where we were say uh, how when her mother died, one thing that she and her mother would do together is they would always find pennies and pick them up. And that, that, that was just something that they would notice a penny and they would pick it up and they would bless it. She said when her mother died, there were pennies everywhere. She would, everywhere she walked, there were pennies. And she knew it was a message from her mother. When we allow ourselves to grieve, we allow ourselves to feel. And there's this release. And it's so important, again, to feel those emotions. We become mindful and listen for the lessons and listen for the messages. We become mindful of that and we listen for those messages. When, after my mom passed, I was feeling like, I didn't feel a connection after she passed. And I had gone on a, oh, my own personal retreat up in uh, Long Beach, Washington. And I was heading home from that. And I had spent the, the 
weekend just reading and praying and just feeling connected to life. It was really powerful. And on the way home, I couldn't come back through Oregon because it was the, the hood to coast. And I would have been caught right there. So I Googled and I could go up through Washington and find my way to, to the freeway and find my way home. So I took this road that I've never seen before and went past this beautiful scenery and woods and wetlands and everything. And um, then I came to this, there was this little town and there was a sign, the Stella Cafe. Well, that was my mother's name. And I went, oh, isn't that sweet? It's the Stella Cafe. And then it was the Stella Post Office. The Stella Post Office. And the Stella Library. I was in the town of Stella. Okay, you may think that's a coincidence. That was spirit guiding me to that place for me to, because I said very clearly that weekend, I want to have that connection. I want to have a connection. I want to know that my mom is around. You know what my highest idea was? That I was going to find a bingo card <laughs> or a bingo chip because she liked to play, play bingo. It was like, I got to see the town of Stella. And then I went home and I thought, did I imagine that? I looked it up on the map and it, yes, it's really there. But that's what, that's, our loved ones are so close to us. They're so close to us, and we hold them in our hearts. And that's where we find that place of joy, that we go through grief, and we also have moments of joy, maybe of remembering something, or of realizing something, or of feeling gratitude. We have that place of joy, a place of peace, a place of connection. When we have those experiences, those are reminders of our connection with oneness. Because we're, we know that we're all connected, right? That we are all part of this infinite energy field, this infinite vibration. We're all part of that. And then when we have that experience, it's more awareness of our Christ consciousness together. So when we're able to feel our feelings and live from a place of acceptance, we're living at this high level of awareness and consciousness. When we know grief and sadness, we can know joy, right? When we feel the depth of grief, we feel the highs of joy because we're allowing ourselves to receive, we're allowing ourselves to feel. There's no need to feel joy in the midst of grief. It's part of the process that we feel all of our feelings. When we can allow ourselves to see grief as an experience rather than a process just to get through, we allow ourselves to feel our feelings. And Jane Goodall wrote in the Book of Hope, the depth of our grief is a reminder of the depth of our love. So let's take this into prayer. So taking a breath, we breathe into that one life, that one power, that infinite presence of good, knowing that this good is love, this good is joy, this good is peace and harmony, this good is God. 
And God is that infinite presence flowing in and through and as each one of us this day. And so I know that each of us is on this sacred journey of love and that whatever the experience is, whether it's grief or heartache or joy or peace, that we experience it fully, knowing that we are supported, knowing that we are loved. I bless everyone who is experiencing any place of grief right now, any place of loss, and know that they are surrounded with love. I bless our beloveds that have gone before us, our beloved people, our beloved pets, our beloved experiences. They have gone before us. I bless them, and I know that they are with us right now. I bless each of us knowing that we are one with love and go out into the world taking this love. We shine this light of love, not in, only in our community, our online community, around our planet, to all of humanity, we shine this light of love and knowing that we are all connected in joy. And so I give grateful thanks for this and for so much more. I release this word and together we affirm. And so it is. Blessings. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. Our inspirational service is at 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.